0: All right, well, good morning again, and good morning to those of you who are watching on live stream. We miss you. We look forward to seeing you sometime soon. It's great to see all of you who are here with us this morning, um, and uh, what do you say we finished the book of Ephesians today? Um, so let's do that. So if you'll grab it and make your way to the end of Ephesians, where Christy was just reading from right there uh, in chapter 6, um, and we've been at this for a while. And the world is a vastly different place than when we began. We started this series on January the 19th. And here we are, you know, mid-July, and the world is a completely different place. I mean, no matter what you believe about COVID-19 and different things related to that, uh, the world is different. NCAA basketball tournament, $1 billion industry shut down. Uh, MLB still has not started back up. Uh, schools are rolling out plans right now. Every county looks a little bit different and people are mad in every single county, well, you know, in various ways. And uh, So let's just have some grace with those who are seeking to start things up. They are in an unwinnable uh, position. Um, have your opinions on those things, but let's be graceful and empathetic. They want, they, want, they want to get things going as well. It's just a difficult deal, but everything's changed. Uh, some of you have been furloughed. Some of you have lost your, your job. Some of you have seen your hours diminished. Um, work has dried up. For some of you, work has increased based upon, you know, what's going on. Kids have been home for months. Uh, for those of us who have two-income families, that's made things extra hard. So much has changed. But not God. God has not changed one iota. The grace and the mercy and the kindness that existed on January the 19th is the same grace and mercy and kindness and love that exists today. And that existed... I mean, it's the same going all the way back to A.D. 62 when this letter was written. And God's people today need the same thing from God's word. As Paul wrapped up his letter to the Ephesians, he gave them a a final word, a a, a parting shot on encouragement. And that's what we need this morning as well. But here's the deal. The encouragement that we need isn't just from a sermon. It, It primarily isn't from a sermon the encouragement that we need in this day in this time in these weird days is from one another and that's what paul spends the bulk of his time at the end reminding us of reminding us to encourage the church to encourage the brethren idol brothers and sisters to encourage the body And so, verse twenty-one. Let's let's get into it a little bit, and let's hear the word of the Lord once again. These parting shots on encouragement, so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Now, just a quick aside on Tychicus, real quick. Tychicus is a guy who's mentioned five times in the New Testament. Uh, primarily in Paul's letters, but also in the book of Acts. And Tychicus, putting everything together, seems to be a guy who was a native of the town of Ephesus. Uh, he grew up in, he was a pagan and he came to Christ. He converted to Christianity under the ministry of Paul when Paul was there for around three years. He planted a church and pastored it for around three years. Tychicus seems to have come to faith during that time and seems to have begun traveling with Paul as a trusted companion. And so when Paul takes the uh, offering for the poor and and takes it to Jerusalem, it's Tychicus who's probably actually carrying that money and doing that. When they get to uh, Jerusalem and Paul is arrested, it is Tychicus along with Dr. Luke who stay with him. And so as you read through and you see uh, Paul's arrest in uh, Caesarea, you see him before Festus and Felix. you see him appeal to Caesar, and then they take the, the, the ride, you know, on the ship to Rome. There's a shipwreck. They're washed up on shore. They spend a night and uh, a day and a night in the sea, floating uh, on debris. And then he gets to Rome and he's under house arrest. Tychicus is, is in all of that. He's part of that. And so he very much is an unsung hero of the New Testament. And he's one of, obviously, Paul's best friends. And so Paul sends this letter, Ephesus, or Ephesians, as well as the letters to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon with Tychicus and a guy named Onesimus, who was a runaway slave of Philemon. We talked about that story a couple weeks ago. So that's a little bit about Tychicus, who he is. But let's get to the purpose of this. Look at verse 22. <clears throat> I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So, so there's the big word, encourage. Like That's the whole reason that Tychicus was sent by Paul. And so, notice this. Think through it. Paul is encouraging the church at Ephesus from very far away, but he's also sent Tychicus to encourage the church like up close and personal. And so, uh, the kiddos in here, the children in here, might remember several weeks ago when we were in Ephesus, or we keep saying that when we were in Ephesians earlier, we were talking about near and far. And so I did that Grover impersonation, you know, where, you know, he was way back here, the 1980s version, far, and then he comes near and he's like, near, or, you know, near and far, and he does that whole thing. Well, here we've got another near and far example, but in a different way of applying it. It's a call for us to encourage our brothers and sisters, whether they are near or far away whether they're near or far away. And so let's apply this in two different ways. First of all, let's just apply it to to like this pandemic moment. as we're not able to see each other as much as possible. We're separated. We're more far away. And so use the directory. Uh, I sound like a broken record with that, but use the directory. You can pick up a, a printed one. You can get them on online. You can reach out to the church office and we can email you one. And use that directory and pray through it. The A's on the first of the month, the B's on the second of the, of the month, the C's on the third of the month, so on and so forth. And as you pray for these individuals, try to put yourself in their shoes. And so if they have little ones, think about what that is like in this moment where things are different and there's masks and there's, there's weirdness about schools and there's, everything's just weird and not right. And for those who are uh, older, maybe those who have a pre-exit, what is it like to live in their shoes? What are the difficulties? What are their worries? What are their fears? What are they facing? And try to put yourself in people's shoes. And as you do that, you will see your heart kindled towards them. And the Lord will very often prompt you to pick up the phone or shoot a text to someone as you pray for them. And you encourage them. Encourage one another. But then let's apply this to some of our ministry partners. Like John was praying earlier and he just talked about, you know, people uh, with the, the last names begin with an A or, and, and T and uh, talked about people. Let's talk about ministry partners for a minute. And particularly those who may... Like have already or may go out from us, like part of our church, and may go out from us and are far away. They need to still be encouraged. It's not out of sight, out of mind. We need to pray for them. We need to reach out to them. We need to get on distribution lists, figure out ways to communicate, ways to send care packages and just let them know we love you, we're for you, we're with you. I mean, when I go to Central Asia on short-term trips, I miss my family desperately. I want to see them. And it's the same thing for those who may go out from this church. We want to see them. They want to see home. They want to see their family. And so we need to be there for them. We need to encourage them. And part of the reason that we do short-term missionary trips then... Is one, yes, to go and do and, and help in a situation, particularly a, a, a uh, <clears throat> church planter or just anybody in, in any level of work in, in a missionary context, is to go and help them do what they cannot do without some additional manpower. So we do that. But part of why we go is also just to encourage the hearts of the missionaries who've given their lives and just to give them a moment to just talk English. Because they don't normally get to do that. Just a moment to chat about, you know, uh, football. Just to talk about, like, just to have a moment, just to encourage their hearts. Just to give them a little break and just encourage them to hang in there, to stay at it. This is what Paul's doing here with Tychicus. The people in Ephesus, it's a young church in the midst of a pagan context, highly scrutinized, highly scorned. Christians are not well liked. There's been a riot against Paul when he was there. The silversmiths did that. Tychicus saw it. And they needed encouragement to stay with it. And so Paul sends Tychicus so that he can do that from up close. So you've got far away and you've got up close. We need to encourage the church, the brethren, whether near or far. And so that's number one. Encourage one another near and far. If I didn't tell you that earlier, sorry. Uh, I've already preached this once. So I forget what I've already said and what I haven't said. So in, number one is encourage one another near and far. Encourage one another near and far. Number two. As you do that, focus on giving, not getting. Focus on giving, not Getting, all right, particularly focus on encouraging others, not getting encouragement from others. Make that your focus. And really, friends, this is just a rewording of Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, another letter that he wrote from house arrest in Rome. And here's what it says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. We're called to an others-focused mindset. We're called to a Jesus-focused mindset. And so you see, I mean, this is Jesus. This is his mindset. Listen, as we continue in Philippians, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is our example here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, which is already humbling, you left the glories of heaven. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, this is our call as followers of Jesus is to die to ourselves daily. I mean, the life of a Christian is a million little deaths. Little deaths. Dying to this that I would prefer, dying to this that I would prefer. Or as Jesus put it, taking up your cross daily. And daily, not not to wear it like a piece of jewelry. But daily, to die on it. To die to ourselves for the benefit of others. That's what Jesus did. He died so that we could be redeemed. And so again, during this COVID time, it's just so weird. We're not seeing one another like normal. uh, And therefore, we're not receiving the regular amounts of encouragement that we typically do. Right? Right? Sunday schools aren't meeting, community groups largely aren't meeting, Uh, we're not having full body gatherings in here, you know, half of y'all right now and and, and half this morning, well really it's probably more like thirds and then a third at home, so we're not all together and we miss one another, we're not receiving the regular amount of, of encouragement, there's no fellowship meals, those sorts of things, we're missing out on these And the instruction of the Bible would be for us not to think, oh man, no one's reached out to me. I I haven't heard from anyone. No, the encouragement of Scripture would be to flip that and say, who have you reached out to? Who have you sought to encourage? It would be kindergarten level ethics. It's the golden rule. Do unto others... What you would like for them to do unto you. Don't focus on getting. Focus on giving. And so encourage one another. Don't focus on getting. Focus on giving. Not on using people, but blessing people. Not on getting encouragement, but giving encouragement. And when we do that, it shows, one, that we are children of God because we have love for one another. And secondly, I just guarantee you, reciprocity will invariably happen. When you focus on getting encouraged yourself, will everybody do something for me? You're going to be disappointed. When you focus on encouraging others as much as as possible, you know what winds up? You wind up getting encouraged as well. And so let's focus on giving, not getting. Giving encouragement. And so again, number one, we need to encourage one another near and far. Number two, focus on giving, not getting. All right. And then finally, number three, taking our cue again from Paul here at the book, at the end of Ephesians chapter six, just practically three kinds of encouragement that every Christian and particularly church member is to give to one another. And so look at verse 23 with me again. Peace. Be to the brothers. The word there is Foy, uh, Philadelphia's, you know, Philos is in there. Um, it's, it's not just brothers. It's the church. Brothers and sisters. Peace be to the church and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And so three things that Paul encourages the church at Ephesus with, and that should mark our lives. Peace, he encourages that. Love with faith. And then grace. And so in your notes, number three, just practically encourage them, encourage one another with peace. Encourage them with love with faith. And then encourage them with grace. That's three A, B, and C. And so encourage them with peace. Peace has been a big part of this letter. If you've been with us since January the 19th, peace has been all over this letter. Because left to ourselves, we do not have peace with God. Left to ourselves, we are alienated from God because of our sin. Because of our open rebellion against God's rule in our lives. But the good news... Okay, the, the gospel is that Christ laid down his life so that the hostility between my sinful rebellion and God would be crushed, that it would be put to rest. As, as we've seen in the first three chapters, particularly, in Christ we have received the full measure of his benefits. His sinless life has been substituted in the place of our sinful life. His undeserved death has made atonement for our deserved death. And his resurrection guarantees our future resurrection and eternal life. But not only has God brought us peace with Not only has Christ brought us peace with God the Father in a vertical direction, he's also brought us peace with one another. This chapter 2 is, that's what chapter 2 is all about. He's torn down, again chapter 2, he's torn down the barriers that we erect to keep us separate. And the reality of the book, of the letter, is that We can't have peace with God vertically and not have peace with one another horizontally. Like, if it's not lived out horizontally, you need to wonder. The vertical part might be a little bit suspect. That's why the Apostle John writes, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, "...if anyone loves God but not his brother..." And brother means church member, Christian, but particularly like church member. If anyone loves God, but not his brother or sister, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, in other words, if if we're never at peace with one another, there is some aspect of our supposed peace with God that's suspect. To be at peace with one another, then, means the gospel must transcend everything. Everything. Men and women, black and white, Jew and Gentile, mask and no mask, donkey and elephant. And friends, we don't follow either one of those animals. We follow a different animal. We follow the lamb. That's our animal. And what he says, not what an elephant or a donkey says, what he says is what we do. I mean, fighting fire with fire creates more fire. Creating, fighting darkness with darkness creates more darkness. But we are to be the light or a light in the world. The light is Christ. We are to be a reflection of that. And what is one of the biggest ways we shine that light into the darkness... Well, Jesus puts it like this in John chapter 3, or John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for one another. And so, friends, this means that the peace of the church should be a priority to us all. Peace means shalom, the idea of of well-being. And so... That should be a priority of the church is for the well-being of brothers and sisters that collectively make up this body, this church. And no doubt, we all come from various backgrounds. We all have differing perspectives on a variety of things. And that makes for a wonderfully beautiful and textured kaleidoscope of God's people. But our priority is peace. Based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Now we pursue peace with one another. And that's why 3B in your notes. We're to love one another with faith. Okay? Encourage one another with love, with faith. And though that's a curious and a bit odd wording, it makes a striking, super important point. And the point is that our love and our commitment to one another is to be based upon faith in Christ, it's to be based upon that commonality. Now, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is what the Bible teaches, and what we need a bit of a reformation back to. Because in large part, large part, the church in America today does not lead. We may have it, it, may have the Jesus thing's good, but may not, it doesn't lead with a love for one another based on faith, but rather a love for one another based on agreement about other things, agreement about school. We're the homeschool crowd. We're the public school crowd. We're the private school crowd. Oh, we'll we'll couple up and we'll couple up and we'll couple up. I'm not denying there's some commonalities and things, but that's not our foundation in Christ. Or around politics. That's what we lead with. And I like you because you like this, and I don't like you because you don't like this. I mean, we can see this, right? Look around. But not only look around, look inside. Is there a piece of that in your own heart? Like in a lot of ways, the church in America, okay, overall, like, has lost sight of this. It's not I love you because we confess the same creed. It's not I love you because we're covenanted together to follow Jesus. It's I love you because you are like me. It's I love you because you agree with my politics, and then being conformed to the culture rather than being transformed. What I see playing out uh, across our our country is we have adopted this cancel culture where people who don't agree with us lock, stock, and barrel, you're out. Or, or, peace, I'm out. I'm getting away. And what's happened, let's see, our culture, we know this about our culture. Our culture views love completely wrong, but it's infiltrated into the church a little bit. We've gotten to this place where we view love as purely emotive. And it can be fallen into or out of, whether that's marriage or friendship or church membership, depending really on how happy the other person makes me. And that's not you loving someone else, that's you loving you. That's how we view love a lot of times. And so, really, we don't love the other person, we love ourselves. And our love for the other person is conditioned upon what they can do for us. So it's, back, it's, it's the getting, not the giving. It's the inverse of what we are to do. And so if they're not doing enough for us, well then I'm out. I'm done. But friends, again, that's not love. That is not love. That's you loving you. Love is not you make me happy so I love you. Love is not, you agree with me, so I love you. No, love is loving people despite differences. Love is actually way more of a choice than it is a feeling. Now, feelings are there, sure. But Jesus chose to love us. He chose. and We must choose to love each other. And feelings and affections will rise and fall. Jesus has strong affections for you. The Bible's just replete with descriptions of his love for you, his affections. So that's real. But even when our affections, because we're sinful, he's not, when our affections fall, we still fall back on love as a choice because we've been loved by God. Like everything we do is is reciprocity. We've been loved, so we love. We've been forgiven, so we forgive. We've been served, so we serve. On and on and on down the line. We've been shown mercy, so we show mercy. And we love one another. The call for us to love one another is with a love. If you have any background in the church, you know these words. That is patience. A love that is kind. A love that does not envy or boast. A love that is not arrogant. A love that is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Even as I have been fully known, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And so encourage one another with love, with faith. A love that is based upon our faith. And then finally, encourage one another with grace. With grace. Friends, we need grace. This is what we need. We need grace from God. I mean, that's the only way we're going to get to heaven. If heaven's not a gift, I'm not getting in, and neither are you. We need grace. And so, Ephesians 2 is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is the gift. The gift. Let me emphasize that the gift of God, not by works. So that no one may boast. And so grace is a free gift. It's not based on merit. It's not based on deserving. It's not based on earning. Right? I mean, Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He, my favorite word probably in the Bible, lavished. Upon us. In all wisdom and insight. I mean, it's, like a, it's like the Niagara Falls. There's always more water coming behind it. That is the grace of God upon you. If you are in Christ. Always more coming. Never runs out. Lavishes. And that is to be us towards one another. We lavish grace on one another. Because we've been lavished with grace. We lavish grace on one another. One of the metaphors in Scripture for uh, the church is family. I mean, there's tons of them. There's body, uh, fa- body family, uh, temple, flock, all these different things. But one of them is, is family. And so with the idea of family in your mind for a minute, just think about the family for a minute. Whenever your parents uh, or your siblings or your children fail to meet your expectations, do you suddenly throw them out of the family? Or do you suddenly leave the family because they didn't meet your expectations? I hope you forgive. I hope you're patient with them. For God is at work in your family in a gazillion different ways, one of which is teaching you to not just be a recipient of grace, because we all want grace, but to also be a dispenser of grace. Like the Niagara Falls, lavishing it, dispensing it. And friends, that's to also mark the family of God, the church. And we're not just focused on being recipients of grace, vertically and horizontally, but also dispensers of it horizontally, dispensing grace on one. I mean, we, we want to be a giant, like y'all know those Pez things. You got a Hello Kitty one, or you got some sort of, you know, uh, Yoda one, or something like that, and you get your little candy out of it. But it eventually runs out. We want to be giant, unlimited, unending Pez dispensers of grace. That's what should mark the church. Encouraging towards one another. Whether we're near or far. And doing so in peace. With love. With faith. With grace. For the glory of God. That's why we do these things. To bring Christ. The glory that he alone is due. And friends this is the final call of the book of Ephesians. This is his parting shot to us and to his readers. And these words and this call remains unchanged, regardless of how the world changes around us. And so let's pray together. Father, help us to live this kind of love and encouragement and grace-dripping, just a mercy saturated, kind bearing with one another when it gets hard, continuing on. I mean, like in a marriage, Lord, uh, which you, in Ephesians chapter 5, you uh, use as a metaphor. Love in a marriage is not just when it's all rose petals and, and, and 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 you know, date nights. Love is also when there's chaos and there's anger and there's a knife flung by your head that sticks in the wall and you're saying, no, I'm staying. I'm here. I'm in it. I'm not going anywhere. Let us love one another deeply and be committed to one another like you are committed to us. Let us daily remind ourselves of your authority and your example. And Lord, help us to remember, I mean, the theme of the book, who we are in Christ. We're not what we do, what we wear, where we live, what we drive. We are sons and daughters. We are in Christ. And what we've been given We are now to give away the gospel, yes, but also grace and love and kindness and forbearance for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.